All right. Well, happy Mother's Day to everybody, uh, to all expecting mothers, um, current mothers, grandmothers. We appreciate you and love you. So thank you and hope you uh, feel appreciated today. So let's pray for the passage and then we'll get started. Uh, Father God, we do ask you today, um, through your word, you would speak to us. may not be my own words, but your spirit convict us in ways that it needs to. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you a careful person or are you a careless person? Careful people pay close attention to things. They're observant, they're detailed. Careless people like to rush into things, they ignore warnings, they risk it for the biscuit. Now I know most of you are careful people. You're careful with your finances, your words, careful to be organized, job and your manners. And that's a good thing. I'm glad you're careful lest you, know, you fall down and break something. So. That's easy for most of you. For me, it's a, it's a little bit of a struggle. Um, it's harder for me to pay close attention to details and easy to skim over things, maybe ignoring obvious things I should be paying attention to. Uh, last year, when my wife and I were driving back from our wedding from Kentucky, we had about a 14-hour trip. Uh, it was long, but it was good bonding time. And near the end of the trip, with just a few hours left, we saw this shiny object in the middle of the road. And now most people with common sense who are careful would have paid attention to the warning right in front of them. Every part of my wife's senses told her, go around the shiny object, she yelled at me. And guess what? Before long, I was like, hmm, should I? But I carelessly and recklessly chose not to drive around the shiny thing, but right through it and over it, because it's just this thing on the road, we'll be okay. So as I drove through it, not around it, we heard a loud bump, and we felt the thing right under us as we went 70 miles per hour. And it's good, you know, we drove through it, just a little bump, maybe scratch on the hood, but we're, we're okay. We're okay for about maybe five seconds, and lo and behold, we smelled the beautiful smell of gasoline, gasoline. Apparently, the shiny metal thing on the road tore through something in the car, and the gas had been leaking out. And if you know anything about cars, I don't know anything. Apparently, gas leaking out is not good, because either you have two options, your car could stall, or it could catch on fire. So either way, not very good. So long story short, we stopped by a gas station, waited about two hours before a tow truck came and got us from Moscow, not Russia, Moscow, Texas, and yes, we put in a lot of money to fix that car, get it towed 200 miles to Houston. And no, my three-day-old bride was not very happy with me that day. Moral of the story is, Ensu, be more careful next time. But here's the point to it all. If I paid closer attention to my wife, to the warning that was right in front of me, if I had chosen to be more careful, all of that, it could have been avoided. For the rest of you, I think you're too careful, too smart to make that mistake. But this leads us to a bigger question. As we talk today, not about being careful to watch the road or shiny objects, we talk about uh, all the more important question. Are you careful in watching your life and your doctrine? Meaning, as you're careful to watch other aspects in your life, in managing a budget, in watching your children, being diligent in your schooling? Are you also careful to watch things that matter much more than that? 
For me, my carelessness could have led to a dangerous situation. Maybe even injury, maybe something worse. But for your spiritual life, do you also realize that by not watching your character or your theology in how we behave as how well as we think about the word, we're setting ourselves up for future failures. Dangers not just for you alone, but dangers for your family, dangers for others who really need to see Jesus. So here's the main thing that I want to get us at today. The main thing today is watch your life and doctrine closely so that others can see Jesus. Watch your life and doctrine closely so others can see Jesus. We're going to see how the principles found from Paul's exhortation to Timothy can apply for us today. Timothy, as a young pastor, was commanded to watch his life, his doctrine, so that he would be effective in his ministry. Also, but we as believers can be careful to watch how we behave and how we think so that we might grow in our effectiveness of being a witness to others. So let's talk about a few things. Our first thing is watch your life. Second thing is watch your doctrine. And the third thing is what does that all mean? So watch your life, watch your doctrine, and what applications we have today. Because we're to watch our life and doctrine closely so that others might see Jesus. So let's review a little bit. Last week, Daniel covered from chapter 11. It's a command and teach these things. And we've been going through 1 Timothy as we study what a rightly ordered church looks like. Not that we can boast about what a good church we are, but by having a church that is ordered rightly in teaching and practice, the rest of the world might see Christ through us. We covered as Daniel talked about how we grow in godliness, how we are to mature and be disciplined in our pursuit of God to be holy people. And when Paul says to Timothy to command and teach these things, as you read right now in verse 11, he's referring to everything we've covered up to this point. So meaning, command your people, Timothy, to believe in the word, study and preach the word by having good leaders who love God in the church, by having doctrine and convictions that are not from man, but from the Bible. Timothy is to command others, to teach others what a rightly ordered church looks like. It's a people that are founded on this Bible, which helps us grow in holiness, which shapes our thinking and our affections, which is to lead us as leaders and servants. So let's keep going in verse 12. It says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So for Timothy as a young pastor, perhaps there was some timidity, wondering if older people would respect him. And for any of us, younger people in leadership, you know, it's easy to second-guess ourselves. But Paul exhorts them to set an example in all these things, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And what he says and what he does both privately and publicly in his affections, in his growth in Christ. He says to do these things so well that older people can't badmouth Timothy. Timothy is not to give any reason for anybody else to have fault in him. Even though he's young, if he's exemplary in his devotion to God, what could people say? And even if people said something, he wouldn't have anything to prove to them because his conscience will be clear with the Lord. So a side comment here, so you know, as a young person, you know, when we read that first part of the verse, let no one despise you because of your youth. You know, what do we think? We're thinking, hey, you know, older people can't diss me. You know, I'm, 
The Bible says, no, let no one despise you, so I can do whatever I want, and y'all are going to have to respect me. I, I think that's how we think. We read that first half of the verse and think that it gives us a right to be entitled to people's respect, to be however we want, because, hey, Bible says, young people, they're supposed to be respected. But that's wrong. That is not exactly what it says. Don't forget to read the second half of the verse, which says, because young people, we usually are foolish, make sure we set a good example to others in all these things. So if you're young like me, if you're not wanting to be looked down upon, ask yourself, are you setting an example to other believers in what you say in public, in social media, in how you treat your parents, your family, your spouse, your children, in your devotion to Christ and to others? So remember that second half of that verse. And also, as a side to our older members, if we do have young people in our congregation who are setting an example in these things, please don't look down on them. I know culturally, the older you are, the more respect you should be getting. And that's a good thing. But for our church, we have pastors, ministers, elders, and deacons. They set a good example in their life. And they really have no reason to be looked down upon if they continue to exercise those things. And it says here that age is no excuse to take somebody less seriously. So let's give our leaders and members who are younger grace and listen to them as we would anybody else. So, that, all that aside, for us, what does that mean to watch your life? It means that we keep a close watch in our character, in our conduct, in private and in public. Not for the sake of being holier than thou or earning points with God. That's not it at all. It's so that we can keep a close watch on our life and our doctrine so that others can see Jesus. They can see Jesus in our life. They can see Jesus through your character. You know, I have to admit, just a few weeks ago, um, I had an example where I was not so careful of my character publicly. And I'm sure we all fail one way or another. I think we all fail in our character, but, but still it's hard, you know, when it's so public. Um, and maybe it wasn't a big deal, but still I was convicted. I went to the post office one day as I had to send out some documents. And personally for me, patience is a hard virtue to come by. I'm not a very patient person. I hate waiting. Man, I hate waiting. It, it is the worst. I hate waiting in lines and at the fast food place. I hate waiting. So when my turn came at the post office to send in the documents, the lady who was serving me said, maybe not so kindly, that I was missing some documents, and I had to go back home and come back. And I took it so personally. I took it as her saying, I don't like you, go home, get out of my face. That's not what she was saying, but when she said that, I was like, I was irate. I just gritted my teeth, you know, mumbled something under my breath that was not so nice. And I just drove back home like a good Christian, just being like, oh, that lady, oh, man. You know, just, just, just being full of the Spirit, just being so nice. And I got home, got whatever I needed, you know, just mumbling, just keep her in my teeth. And then, and then came back. And guess what? I was expecting her to serve me. Oh, you need to serve me. This is your job at the post office. And she went on her lunch break. Great. All right. Good timing. All right. So I was mumbling some more words under my breath. I think she told me to take a seat. I was just like standing there. So I just sat down and I just, oh, just did my entitled self, just mumbling and cursing and just complaining about this post office and this lady out and you know there were a few people next to me you know mom and few kids and if they heard the exact words that were coming out of my mouth the mom would have been like cover your ears honey like it was not the prettiest of words 
And eventually the lady did come back from her lunch break, which was probably, you know, two hours. Maybe it was like 10 minutes, but it felt like two hours to me. And she was, trying to, she was actually trying to be friendly. And, you know, she tried to make some light conversation. And, but this was my posture. This was, right? So I, I was not patient with her at all. And, you know, she was actually trying to be nice. And she was just like saying, you know, how are you doing? How's your day going? And I was like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, I've had, it en- I've had enough. And here's when she kind of lowered the boom. I don't think she did this intentionally, but as she was reading through my document, she was like, oh, you're a youth pastor? Hey, that's pretty cool. I was like, oh, you found me out. You probably think I'm supposed to be this good example of a caring, kind person. And here I am cussing and muttering and fussing and just impatiently, just not waiting and just causing these little kids to stumble. And as I was driving home, I was thinking, man, I wonder if I helped or hindered that lady. I wonder if I helped that lady's impression of what a Christian should be. What if she is a Christian? Then what? Or what if she isn't a Christian? And you know, if that post office lady worker was here today, I think I would owe her an apology for my attitude. I did not watch my words or my life very carefully that day. How about you? Are you watching your character closely? In what you watch, how much time you spend on what you watch, social media maybe, in your words, in your gossip, integrity is what you're like when nobody else is around. Do you do things so you think you could get away with it? Well, God sees it, but maybe we don't care because it's really not a big deal to our hearts. And I think most of you are like me. We have good days and we have bad days. Days when we lean a little bit closer on our flesh than we should on the spirit. And if, I wonder, though, if we watch our life a little bit closer without compromising, without acting according to how we think life should be lived, what would happen? You know, don't get me wrong, this isn't a message about legalism, like you have to try so hard to be good or anything like that. You know, God would love you if you tried harder. It's, it's not about that at all. That's not the gospel. But I do think where we err is in thinking that since Jesus has already saved us, we don't need to work at any of these things anymore. Maybe you and I have gone a little bit numb, a little bit numb to some sin areas. Maybe we let some things go where we should be watching them a little bit more closely. Because what happens when you do watch your life closely? Others can see Jesus in your character. They can see Jesus' sanctifying work in you and through you. They can see your love and Jesus' love in all that you say and do. Through your conduct, they can see a Savior who is transforming you from the inside out, from a worldly, flawed, broken person to somebody that's becoming whole. When you watch your life and doctrine closely, others can see Jesus. And when you don't, all they see is me or all they see is you. They see a person who's selfish, entitled, impatient. I think that post office lady probably saw not Jesus, but probably more of Ensu that day. And I regret that. I need to repent. What do you need to repent of? Are you compromising anything today in your relationships? Are you okay crossing lines? And with non-believers, you shouldn't be dating. How does that affect your walk with the Lord? Are you compromising your purity and how you think about the other gender and how you view them? You compromise your thought life. In your love, what do you love? Is it God or is it more of what God can give you? 
in your faith? Is it a faith of God who is in control? Or is it a faith that you hope your life will turn out exactly as you planned? In your conduct, what is the Spirit of God telling you to repent of? That's between you and God. I might not know your hearts, but I do know this. Our hearts, it's prone to wander. It's tempted, and it seeks not God, but idols and such little things. Let me read from a favorite book of mine. It's called Awe by an author named Paul Tripp. He says, this is what's happened to my heart, to many of our hearts, if we don't keep a close watch on our lives. Why is that? He gives us his insight. We quickly replace all of God with all of self. Vertical all amnesia always ends up putting me at the center. It really does make life all about me. All of God means I live knowing that there is a greater story than my little personal story. All of God means that there is a grander kingdom than my little kingdom of one. All of God means that God has a plan far bigger and better than any plans I have for myself. All of God humbles me. It puts me in my place. It reminds me that I am small, that since I'm a creature of one who is far greater, it cannot be all about me. Forgetting the awesome and glorious one who made it all and holds it all together by the sheer power of his magnificent will will always insert me into the center. This means that no story will be more important to me than my story. I will ask no bigger question than the question of how I am doing. I will have no bigger concern than my satisfaction and comfort. I will ask life to serve me, to submit to my interests, and to deliver whatever I demand. Maybe the post office stuff. This viewpoint will guarantee me a life of huge disappointment. And not only that, it is also an insane way to live. I'm not the center of all things. The world would not do my sovereign bidding. God will not offer his awesome throne to me. Of self, worship of self underlies every form of self-destructive living. Friends, let's not lose awe of our Savior. It's all too easy to not care about keeping a careful watch on our lives because honestly, we don't think it matters all that much. And what that says of us is that we've lost awe of how beautiful and precious our Savior is. If you need to ask God to enlarge your awe of Him, would you do so today? Would you do so because you don't want to compromise your conduct, you don't want to be loose with your morals, your character, which in turn affects your witness to others and your own passion to seek the Savior. Watch your life carefully so that others will see Jesus. Let's move on to watching your doctrine, the second thing. It says, verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We can infer from this passage that Timothy had a gift of either teaching or preaching. He was to command all these things, to study the word, to be immersed in them, and to practice it. Practice doctrine. Doctrine is simply put, a right order of beliefs, a set of beliefs, a core set of convictions. And for Timothy, as well as for us, these were beliefs he had not from his own thought life, but from the word. The doctrine, the theology that shaped his ministry, he used to devote himself to this book, teach it, to keep it, to practice it, to continue growing in it, Paul reminds Timothy that even the elders affirmed him. So push your gift, keep encouraging his protege to keep developing this. And with that said, doctrine is important. You might ask, hey, why is it important? For Timothy, imagine what would have happened if his doctrine was loose. 
if how we thought about God was just kind of wishy-washy, no backbone, not found on tr- principles and teachings from the Bible, imagine how much chaos this church might have gone through. You know, could you imagine? You know, it, one guy comes up, hey, yo, Timothy, is it okay if I sleep with my girlfriends even though I'm not married? Yeah, sure, man. God is good. Do whatever feels good. I bless you. Or, hey, what up, man? T-Dog, you mind if I run for elder? I'm not a Christian yet, but I hear elders get bread and wine, and I'm all about that wine, so could I, you know, could I be an elder? Hey, there are no winners or losers in God's kingdom. I bless you. Hey, Mr. Timothy, my dad told me I can steal from church's offertory. Is that okay? Hey, kid, your dad is teaching you about generosity, and God is a generous God, so why not? Right, so I, I know that's a little flippant and a little ridiculous, so forgive me, but then again, like, is it that far from the truth? Do not the songs we sing affect how we think about God? Do not the books we read, the movies we watch, shape how we view him? Do not the relationships, the conversations we have with people affect our theology? Point being, if other things, feelings, thinkings, media, and whatever just morals and principles is shaping how you view God, then maybe you should keep a closer watch on your doctrine. If anything shapes your theology, your convictions, your doctrines, the things that you believe, may it be between Genesis and Revelation. Anything in between that is good, but let's be careful not to let anything outside of that shape us. Watch your life and doctrine closely so that others can see Jesus. Wrong doctrine might mean they not see Jesus, but something else or a contorted view of what we believe. We'd be fooling ourselves if we didn't mention some of the false teaching that's popular today. A prosperity gospel which says God is all about your health and wealth. He wants you to have the best life and just to be comfortable. Or how some teachers say that there is no hell because God is so loving. Or that basically after salvation that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, because God will forgive you anyway. And there is a little bit of small truth to each of those things, but it's a distorted truth. And then believing any of those things can lead you not to a savior king, but worshiping selfish and broken people. Not a perfect, a powerful God. Some more examples of how wrong theology can affect you. If you believe that church is more about community, just about us hanging out, it it is about community. But if it's just a social club to you, you're not going to invite broken people to see Jesus' grace. You're just going to come here to hang out. If you view the Bible as good suggestions rather than commands for your life, you're not going to follow it. If you don't believe that God is sovereign, you're going to try your whole life trying to be in control of a life that you can't. How about grace? If you believe that it's more about what you do and you perform, then you're not going to accept forgiveness. You're not going to accept the free gift that God gives you. You're going to perform your whole life trying to earn something that can be never earned. What about God's goodness? I question it sometimes. Wondering why he lets such bad things happen. If I keep questioning that, I will never experience the goodness God has for me because I'm too busy thinking and questioning, hey, is this God really good? Maybe I just want a genie that just grants me wishes. I think we all need to grow in theology, in doctrine, and yes, there are secondary and tertiary issues, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I mean, as we grow, as we mature, learning about the core convictions that every Christian should have, I think it's okay to keep learning them. Because we all get it wrong at some point, and that's okay. Just don't stay there. Just don't remain comfortable. Seek more truth out. Study the word. Apply yourself by reading daily, 
journaling daily, getting some accountability, finding a discipler to walk through discipleship with you, finding a community, a small group to help you learn this word and be talking about it weekly. Join the church. Join our membership class so you can keep learning and growing in the doctrines that should be essential to every believer. By watching our life and doctrine, others can see Jesus. Others can see that you're not compromising in your doctrine. Other people are being lax, saying, hey, you can do whatever you want because we're all about tolerance. But they see that you are uncompromised because you stay true to your convictions. You're clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. Your doctrine influences you to love the widow, the orphan. That in itself is a testimony to a world that looks out for yourself first. By staying true to your convictions of not having sex before marriage, you show to others that your future marriage is about Jesus, not about your pleasures. When you commit to yourself to prayer and fasting, people will wonder in a world where discipline is only safe for diets and gyms. So let's be careful in our doctrine. Let's be sure that we know what we believe and keep growing in the truth as shown in his word, not man-made things, but words that God has breathed out. One of the people that I respect is Jason Tarn. He didn't pay me to say that, but I do respect him. And I respect Pastor Tarn because he's uncompromised in his devotion to the word. In our staff meetings, he's always asking, hey, are these programs going to benefit us practically or financially, or is it the most logical? Are these what we've done traditionally? Instead of asking that, he asks, hey, is it rooted in the word? And I really appreciate that about him. Because honestly, in student ministry, it's just easy for me to think, hey, what's going to be the most fun? What's going to be the most attractional to students? What, what have we done in the past? Instead of asking that, maybe I should be asking, hey, are the principles and things we're doing rooted in God's word? And maybe uh, some of you are saying, hey, that's a little rigid. You know, lay off me, man. Surely you don't mean to say that everything that I do, everything that I have to think about is through this theological lens well, could it hurt? Because by watching your life and doctrine closely, others will see Jesus. Is it merely about us feeling good, doing whatever is easy, convenient? Or is it for the purpose of knowing Christ and having others know him? Keep a close watch on your doctrine, lest we hinder others in the wishy-washy, man-made gospel with no backbone. So finally, what does this mean for us? We close off with verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy is commanded to keep practicing his gift, immersing himself in the word. It's important that we pay attention to the following verses. Read in 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Practice these things so that all may see that you are perfect. Practice these things so that people can say you never make a mistake. Practice these things so that you are seen as already a complete finished project. No, it says not perfection. It says practice these things so that people may see your progress. And that is so encouraging for us. If it was up to me to have a perfect life, to never mess up in my character or doctrine, I would be in despair. I would lose hope. Every time I failed, I would feel like I'm just becoming a hindrance. So praise God that he calls us not to be perfect, but he does expect to see progress in our lives. Progress because he is the one 
through his spirit working in us so that we might become more like Jesus. We fail every day. But friends, the gospel says that it is what Jesus has done for you and what you can never do. He lived the perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect example of what we should be. Praise God we don't have to be perfect. He calls us to follow him in his grace, to be striving for a model, to be this example. But in no way could we ever be perfect in our character and doctrine. And if you see evidences of growth in your own life, that is a testament of his Holy Spirit working in your life. If you're a believer, yes, you should see some progress. But it's never like this. It's usually like ups and downs. By keeping a close watch on our doctrine and on our character, others can see Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. It was never about us. He saved us. He loved us. He forgave us. Without him, we would not even have the power or the motivation to live a life or to keep a doctrine or character right. Because he gave himself for us, because he showed us grace, we strive, albeit imperfectly, to pursue this Christ and show him to a lost world. And friends, if that's not you today, would you take some time to reflect? There will be people praying for you at the end of the service. Would you just consider that today? We would love for you to be a part of our family. And finally, as I've been repeating throughout, that last verse is the main thing we wanted to be getting at. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this. By so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. And to clarify, we ourselves have no power to save. We're saved from sin and are God's vessels. But what Paul means in that last section, by keeping a close watch on ourselves and on our doctrine, is two things. One is that we are to work out our salvation through becoming more and more like Jesus. And two, we are to save ourselves from falsehood and traps that are so common. While it's true that we're saved, we're commanded to work that salvation out by growing in our character, by growing in our convictions and learning and practicing the word. By not watching these things more carefully, we endanger ourselves to false teachings, false thinkings, a false lifehood. So let us focus both on good life and on good doctrine, because if you have good life without good doctrine, well, you're just wishy-washy. You, you might have good character, but you don't have anything to say. And if you might have good doctrine and your life stinks, nobody wants to listen to you. You might have good things to say, but if your life stinks, what good is that either? We need to watch our life and doctrine closely so others can see Jesus. Others can see the Jesus that has shaped your life, in your walk, in your talk, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Others can see Jesus in your doctrine as you have convictions not from man but from the word. So we work on these things as we hope to grow both in our affections for Jesus, through practicing our life and doctrine, as well as helping others and the lost see Jesus through our conduct and conviction. So I want to conclude with a few application questions. One, in your life, are you compromising any areas? If so, what do you need to seek? Accountability, maybe seek some correction, seek some repentance. We hope you act on it today. And in your doctrine, are you also compromising some areas? Are you being influenced more by media rather than the word? What areas of doctrine are you so loose with and how can you grow in it? Who can help you grow in these things? And as you consider and strive for these things, inevitably we fail And we also seek repentance, not perfection, but we seek progress as he helps us. Show people Jesus through our life and doctrine. 
Maybe you can even be praying for specific individuals you can impact with your life and doctrine today. I, I want to close with a story. Uh, this is not a personal story, um, but this is your story. I want us to imagine. I want us to envision the life that God has called us to. Imagine if, as we're being transformed by God, the kind of people that he has shaped us into being. I want you to see your story as men and women of God who do seek careful watch on their life and doctrine. In your life, in your character, in what you say, in what you do, in how you behave publicly and privately, in your convictions, in you learning and growing in the word. And you do these things not perfectly, but, but in humility and in seeing progress. Imagine this, then as you keep close watch on your life and doctrine, the influence you have on your children, in your marriage, in your school, in your workplace, in the lives of the believers you commune with, in the lives of people you might come in contact with, in the lives of people that you might not even like that much, can you see that vision for your own life? That's the vision God has for you. More and more as you repent and grow in life and doctrine, they begin to not just see you, they begin to see Jesus. Keep a close watch on your life and doctrine so that others might see Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray with all the words that were spoken. There's a lot of ideas, a lot of things. But may they just remember one thing, that you love us, that you call us. And so may we pursue, not with our own strength, to watch our life closely, but may you give us strength to watch both our life and our doctrine carefully so that others might experience your grace, so that others might be transformed, so that others, as well as ourselves, can see and be in awe of the kind of God you are. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.